Hi, I'm Madhvi Romani. And I'm Rena Grobe. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week, we'll be discussing a new topic or trend, so you can stay informed the easy way. Serena, what are we talking about this week? On the 1st of November, which is about 12 days ago now, Deborah Feldman was a guest on the political talk show Markus Lanz. Deborah Feldman is a American, I guess, in the interview, she says she now has German citizenship, so an American-German-Jewish author. She is actually from German origin, so she also says in the same interview that her ancestors are from Germany and then left after the Holocaust and came to the U.S. She grew up in an Orthodox community in New York City, which she fled. You may have seen her TV show Orthodox, which is on Netflix. Well, not her TV show, but adapted from her book which is the story of her life. She was on Makos Lanz, in which she was discussing the events of the past month. I was incredibly moved by a lot of the things she says, most notably one of the things that she said, which is incredibly pertinent to Germany, is that anyone who tries to instrumentalize the Holocaust to justify further violence has lost their humanity. She was incredibly articulate, incredibly emotional, I have to say, like she was really speaking emotionally. It just got me thinking about a way bigger issue, which is in Germany, when you try to discuss anything of this matter, like if you try to say anything about Palestine, if you try to say anything other than siding with Israel, you are silenced. And this has been happening to not just individuals, but to newspapers, to protests to just basically anyone, anywhere, any form is not allowed to talk about this. And it's just incredibly sad that this form of censorship is happening in Germany. So I wanted to discuss why is this happening? How do we deal with this? Yes, Germany has a very unique relationship when it comes to Israel. And the security of Israel has been described by Angela Merkel to be part of the raison d'etat, the reason of our state, which basically means that the fact that Israel exists is integral to the German state. She introduced this, I think, in 2008, and then Olaf Scholz, repeated it actually just recently, he took out the part and just said, it is our reason of state. It's obviously to do with the Holocaust. And the fact that Israel exists is because of Germany and what Germany did. And therefore, Germany has the responsibility to protect Israel at all costs, because it's very closely tied to its history. But that's not strictly true, right? Israel doesn't exist because of the Holocaust. Israel exists because of the Belfort Declaration that the British issued in 1926, in which they declare that they would set up an ethno state for the Jews in Palestine. This is part of the problem. Honestly, part of the problem is, is that we have this continuous narrative of Israel was set up because Germany committed a monstrous crime and then the Jews need somewhere to be safe, right? That is just not true. I mean, yes, Jewish people need to be safe. That part is true. But the Belfort Declaration was originally published in 1917 and finalized in 1926. 
It was published by the British, who had a mandate over Palestine, and in it they said that they would set up a national home for Jewish people. One of the biggest fallacies that I think is spread worldwide is this idea that anti-Semitism only exists in Germany, right? Anti-Semitism has existed in all countries, right? Like, if you read anything about Allen Ginsberg, right, he's talking about during the Second World War being at Columbia, the amount of anti-Semitism that he experienced in the United States. The Jewish people have been dealing with this that nobody, quote-unquote, wants them for ages. So it's really unfair to put this all on Germany. Like, 100% the Holocaust would happen and it was all Germany's fault. So Karen Attia of the Washington Post, I just think she does really great articles. She has her own column. She actually wrote about the colonial history of Britain in Israel. There's a really good letter from Churchill. He explained Britain's colonial aims in 1922. And this is a quote from Rick Richmond's book, And None Shall Make Them Afraid, Eight Stories of the Modern State of Israel. So Churchill said, I insist upon the loyalty and the good faith of England to the Jews, to which I attach the most enormous importance, because we gained great advantages in the war. We did not adopt Zionism entirely out of altruistic love for starting a Zionist colony. It was a matter of great importance to this country. It was a potent factory on the public opinion in America, and we are bound by honor to push this thing as far as we can. So then 1937, in his testimony to the Peel Commission, this is regarding the Arab revolt to British rule. He says, I do not agree that the dog in a manger has the final right to the manger, even though he may have lain there for a long time. I do not admit that right. I do not admit, for example, that a great wrong has been done to the Red Indians of America or the black people of Australia. I do not admit that a wrong has been done to these people by the fact that a stronger race, a higher grade race, or at any rate, a more worldly wise race, to put it that way, has come in and taken their place. What the fuck? <laughs> That's Churchill, our great hero. But basically, the British policy of people like Churchill was about the impurity of Palestinian Arabs and the incapability of them to rule over themselves. But also these notions of the Jewish race and Jewish power are also anti-Semitic, I guess. What do you think about that? The father of Zionism, right, is a, an Austrian guy called Theodor Hetzel. And he founded this movement when he wrote a pamphlet called Der Judenstaat in 1896, right? And in this, he sort of envisioned the founding of an independent state for Jewish people. So the narrative that is perpetuated by German media that Israel is a consequence of the Holocaust, thus we must defend it, is wrong. This idea has existed for like, I'm so bad at math, but years before the Holocaust, 30 years before the Holocaust. I mean, you can even see it in, in traces of like pop culture history, if it can say like, right? Like look at Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice. You see anti-Semitism in this. So anti-Semitism has been a huge problem in the world for, I mean, at least since Shakespeare's time. Actually, you know, it's been a massive, massive problem in Europe for centuries and centuries. However, it was imported into the Arab world, first through Christian missionaries and then through colonialism. And now what's really interesting is in the German media, like the Bild Zeitung, and actually the Bild Zeitung to an extreme extent, 
published this wacko manifesto about how Arabs in this country are all anti-Semitic, which objectively is not true according to the figures and the stats of the German government and the police itself. Anti-Semitic crimes, around 84%, are actually committed by the German right. That's the German people. Of course, there is anti-Semitism everywhere, also among the Arab people in this country and you know, all different peoples, anti-Semitism exists, just like racism or sexism exists among all groups of people. However, according to the federal police themselves, most of the, the crimes are committed by the German far right. So the Bild publishes manifesto about how all the anti-Semitism belongs to basically is the Arabs that are doing it. And then to a lesser degree, and not so obvious, all other newspapers have kind of taken this line which is completely factually false. There's a really good article in The Intelligencer written by Sarah Schulman, who is Jewish. She describes this term manufactured consent as a system-supported propaganda by which authorities and media agree on a simplified reality and it becomes the assumptive truth. This is what has happened in Germany there's a simple story, which is that the Germans have victimized the Jews, and then the Jews are victims, and they cannot then be perpetrators, because the Germans are perpetrators. Someone really smart, and I'll link to the original article, but I can't remember who it is, but I have the quote, said that Germany needs Israel as a replacement nationality, because German identification with Israel as a nationality is something that Germany can feel unrestainedly proud of. So Germany needs Israel to be rehabilitated. And Israel is a so-called proof that Germany learned a lesson from its history and that the denazification was a successful process. So it's kind of like transference, I guess, of the fact that Germans can't be proud of being German or Germany because of their terrible history. They therefore then support the state of Israel in a really proud way. And Israel is a symbol of kind of German goodness. And that's also probably why the Germans tell the story of themselves that they have they have gotten rid of anti-semitism which clearly they haven't but it's this manufactured consent right that the media and the history and the big narrative is that germany has gotten rid of this and if there is anti-semitic attacks which there have been recently in berlin it's got to be the arab population right it cannot be the germans which is just completely false going back to the amazing deborah feldman she has also written an article about this where she basically says that the Aufarbeitung that Germany did allows everyone to sort of engage in a collective ridding themselves of guilt. They said, oh, okay, the German state, the German people, we have all done this work. We're over it now. But that means that they, on a personal level, don't have to do any Aufarbeitung. So they can still themselves, you know, they, the guilt has been taken from them by the state. So they don't have to work on themselves and, and maybe their involvement with it 80 years ago. And this actually has led to the fact that on a state level, maybe publicity wise, we have dealt with anti-Semitism. We have dealt with our horrendous past. But each individual person, grandparents, great grandparents, family history, no one's actually done any work there because it's all been taken care of. You can see it play out on a state level with this identification with Israel and this strong 
support of Israel. And you can see also a lot of Germans went to like protest her Israel instead of doing a deep work, you know? Yeah. And she, in this Markus Lanz interview, she actually goes on to say something super interesting where she talks about how outside of every, you know, synagogue, I think she says in um, Germany, there's police presence, you know, and I am quoting her here directly, right? She says, there's a lot of secular Jews who live in Germany. A lot of the times the synagogues are empty and there's a police presence in front of it, you know? They're protecting symbolic places of Jewishness. And then she goes on to say, but like, if you go to the Jewish, she mentions a kosher restaurant that she likes to go to where, you know, like people of all different faiths and background meet and talk with one another. No one there because the people don't feel safe. So it's just reinforcing this idea of the German government, the German state is doing its part to protect the Jewish people, but on a completely symbolic level. You know, they're not actually going to the places where people go on a daily basis. They're protecting the big symbolic places, which like, yes, to be fair, like if you're going to attack somewhere, you would probably go for the big symbolic places, right? Obviously. Yeah, and that has, uh, sorry, and that has happened. Actually. Yes, but actually, you're not like actually protecting actual Jewish people. It was her point. And I would like to say, yes, there have been an uptake in anti-Semitic attacks in Germany. This is terrible. I mean, I definitely think it's a, it's a problem, specifically because people conflate the state of Israel with Jewishness, which is wrong. They're not the same thing, nor should Jewish people be held responsible for what Israel is doing. Absolutely not. But there have been just as many incidents of Islamophobia that have taken place. And they're not reported about, which is bizarre. Like in Hamburg, someone smeared like a, a Molotov cocktail smeared with pig fat, threw it into the window of like a Muslim activist group. And it's like nothing, you know, like this story is not reported in the news. So the Claim Alliance, which is a collection of 50 organizations that fight against Islamophobia and anti-Muslim sentiment, have reported that now there are per day three anti-Islam incidents in Germany. Right, it's not a competition, obviously. 100% it's not a competition. All forms of suffering, all forms of discrimination, hate are bad. I think we can all agree that that is the case. But it is very noticeable, specifically in Germany, that Certain things get media attention and other things, not a word. And I have to say, it's amazing to me that the Germans feel like they have, because of their history, now they have a monopoly and, a, you know, the right view on what anti-Semitism is. And I would say that anti-Semitism is also just lumping all Jewish people in with the Israeli state and saying that they are pro-Israel. And also, like, for example... There was a protest that was banned, which was Jewish Berliners against violence in the Middle East. That was one of the protests that have been banned. Or, for example, Youth Against Racism, which is also a Jewish organization, right? But that was also banned. So it's like such a simplification of Jewishness. And it's amazing that Deborah got this. Well, she's she's a really big name. So it's really cool that she used the platform and she was invited on and she spoke in a way that was dissenting from the German narrative of what a Jewish person is and believes and all of this stuff. But I bet, I bet there were complaints about her being anti-Semitic. 
Oh, 100%. I don't think she's ever going to be invited back on on that television show. Also, I thought it was really great that she said all of these things to Robert Habeck, who is our vice chancellor. He was virtually there. And he is just the silliest of them all. That's saying it nice. He is the absolute worst. He made a speech exactly saying this, that Muslims must distance themselves from anti-Semitism or in some cases face deportation. And again, this is the idea that all the Muslim minority are overall anti-Semitic, which is not based on like, you know, what the statistics show. And then also the Greens. I have to like bike past the Greens main office on just off, I guess it's like in Berlinstadt or something like that. And it's got this massive, massive, massive Solidarität mit Israel flag just hanging outside it. And I cannot imagine what all the Palestinians in Germany feel. And Germany happens to be home to the largest Palestinian diaspora in Europe. That's an estimated 40,000 to 100,000 people. When they see that, and also the Greens are totally selling weapons to Israel that are being used against civilians. I can't believe I voted for those people. Yeah, I mean, considering the fact that like Annalena Baerbock's posters even said, you know, like, stop mit der Waffenlieferung. Like, this was the campaign slogan she ran on, amongst other things. And now she has said no to a ceasefire. And you're like, how do these two things? What? Girl. And what happened to our feminist foreign policy, which was specifically to protect the most vulnerable, which happen to be children and women. Those are like the most killed people in Gaza. And this is what it really comes down to, because according to the Financial Times, defense sales were 300 million euros this year. 10 times more than 2022 were made in German arms exports to Israel. And most of the licenses were approved after the October the 7th attack. So like right now for this war, right now. And this again kind of reminds me of Noam Chomsky in a way, where he's saying like this idea of manufactured consent. So like actually we are just spectators in a democracy. We're not really participants of a democracy. So, you know, we do go to the polls every four years and vote for someone. And then we're just supposed to sit back and watch and let them do whatever they want. And like, it doesn't matter who's in power, whether it's the Greens, whether it's the, hey, the AFD talking about anti-Semitism is the second biggest, most popular party in this country right now. So why aren't we talking about that? And why are we focusing on a Muslim minority or an Arab minority? Because not all Arabs are Muslim. And this is the thing, there's no party to for us to vote for. Every single party, every single, you know, from right to left is pro-Israel for different reasons. So the right is really pro-Israel so that they can gain support for the anti-Muslim and anti-immigration narratives. And then the Greens, I don't know what they're up to, and the SPD are just there to make money, I guess. And to maintain a status quo, it doesn't matter whether we vote or who we vote for, it's always going to be the same. I think the best thing we can do is like protest, I guess, or write to our the people that represent us. But also like there's nobody on the German spectrum of politics who is like, hey, guys, can we have more of a balanced, nuanced real discussion about the reality of this and not just like the assumptive truth based on nothing. I really like that. Assumptive truth based on nothing. It's a really nice sentence. 
it's true, you know. The demonstration that happened last Saturday, which I went to, the Bild-Zeitung reported it as a Judenhass-Demo, which, first of all, it was co-organized by Jewish groups, so okay. Second of all, they reported that people were calling for Israel to be bombed. And it's like, 100% not. If you had, like, if you were there, you know the chant, which they slightly altered, Israel bombardiert, Deutschland finanziert. And they just changed this to Israel bombardieren, which is, like, not what people were chanting. They were saying Israel is bombing things and Germany is financing this. The police were pulling people out who they claimed had anti-Semitic signs. So, for example, if you have a sign that says from the river to the sea, that is deemed anti-Semitic and you're not allowed to carry that. But it's like gotten to the point where even just having a Palestinian flag is deemed as anti-Semitic, which is ridiculous. Palestine is a country. It exists. How is... Like, I'm actually legitimately lost for words. But anyway, back to the Bildzeitung. Yeah, just on that note, I mean, recently in Germany, just to highlight this uh, and the atrocities happening here, a high school teacher hit a student who brought a Palestinian flag to school. And also there have been shocking scenes like actual film scenes of police brutalizing protesters. Also, a lot of peaceful protests have broken up in this way. And like police have stamped out candles that have been lit in front of photographs of victims. It's bizarre. It's like people aren't even allowed to mourn the dead because that is anti-Semitic. Like, what is wrong with Germany? I, I, I'm honestly like, just, it's so incredibly mind-boggling that this is October, November 2023, and this is what Germany is doing. But yeah, our media is fully fueling it. Like, you know, jumping back to Bildzeitung. They are actively pushing this narrative and maybe other newspapers are doing it more subtly, right? Because we all know the Bildzeitung is, you know, we all know what the Bildzeitung is. Yeah, the Bildzeitung is total trash newspaper, but also what's really interesting is they fired 200 people who worked there earlier this year and said that they were going to replace them with like AI. So I wonder if this is something that ChatGPT came up with because it really sounds like not an actual person surely could not have written this this thing, this manifesto, which is just like, it's the raving of internet trolls all meshed together, which sounds like something chat GPT would do. But there are a really couple of really, really, really important things to consider here because, you know, we were talking to Anya about the rule of law in Poland. And here, when it comes to Israel-Palestine in Germany, the rule of law is just being pushed totally to the side and democracy is being erased. First of all, because of Article 8, which is in our Grundsatz, like one of the main laws that is the, of the foundation of our democracy. And Article 8 says that all Germans have the right, without having to register or receive permission, to assemble peacefully without weapons. So that's been eroded. I think that started actually during Corona, maybe that um, because of like gatherings and stuff like that. But anyway, that's Article 8. And the other thing is Article 5, which is freedom of speech. And a lot of people have lost their jobs, and not just in Germany, but also in the US, but, you know, being uh, asked to step down comments, like opinion pieces that have been published after some complaints that have been like modified or changed to take out things that re refer to like Palestinian victims and stuff like that. So there's a, a massive 
sort of censorship of the freedom of speech going on. And the media is like, it's supposed to be the fourth estate, right? It's supposed to be a check on democracy that holds the people in power accountable. But instead, what the media is doing is following a government line or the state line. And we're already at a time when people are losing trust in the media anyway. So it's really not good for our democracy that legacy media gets totally um, discredited and they're, they're doing it to themselves. They're not reporting facts anymore, which is like, what's the point of a newspaper? They're supposed to have fact checkers and it's supposed to be objective unless it's a commentator, right? But it's not. No, now it's just clickbait. And I think that maybe the media would get away with it if it weren't for social media because now the world is much more interconnected and now we can kind of see the reality of what's happening beyond the sort of like propaganda. I remember watching, there's this German show called Tatort, you know? So it's been running since the 70s and it's like crime scene show. It's set in different German cities. Each one is kind of different, but it's kind of like a cult show, you know, like, like it's got a cult following. It's been running for like, I don't know, 40 years. And I remember just after the influx of refugees that Germany had in 2015, they did an episode which involved a Syrian refugee. And the way that they portrayed the Syrian refugee was so terrible. Like they really portrayed them in a negative light. It really upset me. Not because I think that if someone is a refugee, they're a good person. Like people are shit regardless of who they are, where they're from or what their status is. That's just a universal fact. People be shit. But because... This is a show that is watched by the majority of Germans. So people, you know, in the smallest town who are never going to have any sort of contact with someone from Syria is going to see this and based on this build an image, you know, like all of these things contribute to the story that we tell about other people. And I thought it was really irresponsible of them to do this and specifically to use our tax dollars to do this because this is publicly funded television. If you pay for the Rundfunkgebühr, then you helped fund that. Do people put any thought into what they do? And the truth is they don't care because they have a narrative to push and this is exactly the narrative they, they wanted to push. But ARD, like, what are you doing? Get it together. And I think this is true for all of the German media. I don't know. It's just... It's kind of worrying to live in a country where a friend of mine sent me a post on Instagram, which was a completely factual and, you know, like intelligent post surrounding the situation. And he wrote, I really wanted to share this, but I'm scared to. People are scared to voice their opinion because they're worried that it might impact their ability to stay in this country. This is 2023. But he's not wrong. I mean, if we look at, for example, the Maxim Gorky Theater, which is supposed to be a leftist theater, they've called off upcoming performances of its long running and celebrated piece called The Situation, which gave voice to the experiences of Arabs, Palestinians and Jewish Israelis. And the House for Poesie in Berlin also cancelled the upcoming launch party for the Arabic uh, Europe. And of course, the Frankfurt Book Fair postponed indefinitely the award ceremony for a Palestinian writer, Adania Shibli. So like, it's not, I mean, this has been happening also in the US where people have really lost their jobs and, you know, been fired and all this kind of stuff because they have just been trying to 
voice their opinions and tell a more complex story. And there's no room for that. And of course, like you say, okay, you know, legacy media is dying, but like actually everyone is still, like the most of this country still is first of all distracted and busy and they just get their news from the massive narratives and they comprehend them really fast and they're not media literate or thinking about things in great depth, right? Because that's how you want your population to be, which is why you saw a lot of Germans going around with Israeli flags. And it's really interesting. I was at CO Berlin yesterday and I saw this um, exhibition by, I think, Mary Ellen Mark. She's a really, really good photographer. She was f- photographing from the 1960s onwards. What was really interesting was she photographed pro Vietnam War protests. And so normally we see now, I've seen a lot of anti-Vietnam protests because that's the main narrative, like Vietnam was bad. And of course, it was a big mistake. But actually, we forget that, hey, a lot of people were like USA, Vietnam, communists, they were for it. And now when you look at it, you're like, those people were on the wrong side of history. But they didn't even though they were, they bought into the narrative of the state. And I think that's what's happening now as well in Germany. And all these narratives are really not good at all. And they're damaging to our democracy, our ability to talk to each other, to understand each other, to step out of simple black and white, good and evil thinking. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it is. And I think that in the future, in like, I don't know, how long does it take? 30 to 40 years, we will look back on this and realize Germany once again was on the wrong side of history. And it's just history repeating itself, you know? Now is really important in Germany to fight for democracy, specifically with the IFD so significantly on the rise, winning elections. So... Here are three things you can do this week. Thing one, I think it's really, really, really important to go to protests, to make your voice heard. You are legally allowed to. So go out there, be safe, be reasonable, but make sure that your voice is heard. Thing two, boycott the organizations who are helping to spread a very simple story and contributing to a genocide of a people, which is what is happening right now. We have a list of big companies. We will put them into our newsletter. So check out our newsletter. It's um, misinformed.substack, I think. And you can link to it also from our Instagram profile or our Facebook group uh, or our Facebook page. So we'll link to those big multinational companies but also stop going to Maxim Gorky and the House de Poesie instead choose those organizations like Oyun for example in Noikon which are really despite the fact that their funding might be cut because of their stance but they're really fighting for oppressed peoples um, also in the community and not spinning a simple story Um, so support those organizations too and we'll put some of them into also our newsletter this week and thing three it's really important now that than ever that we participate in democracy i'm going to be writing a letter to my representative i 
will outline steps on how to find out which Wahlkreis you're in and who your representative is, as well as a draft of a letter you can send. We will be linking all of this in our newsletter. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.